Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and a very warm welcome to you from the Barangaroo Studios here. This is The Call 10 Stocks. Picked by you, two experts. One hour, it is Tuesday, the 4th of January. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you along for the ride. Let's uh, introduce our expert panel. Joining us, Carl Kapalinga from Think Markets and Mark Morland from Team Invest. Gentlemen, terrific to have you along for the first show of the year. And uh, Carl, now's your chance to make the big prediction, of course, of where this year is going to go. In fact, uh, I was just looking at the Fin Review this morning. They, they're quoting the, the January barometer uh, that's uh, essentially suggesting that if the first month of the year is positive, then that's a good sign for the rest of the year. How are you seeing it? Yeah, good afternoon, Andrew. Good afternoon, Mark. Uh, look, I'm seeing it as I saw it at the close of 2021. You know, uh, conditions are conducive to higher stock prices yet again. I'm not sure if we'll see the, the heady gains that we've seen over the last couple of years, but I still think it's going to be onwards and upwards. Certainly, there's nothing in the trends on the charts to suggest otherwise. Um, as for whether, you know, January sort of tells the story for the rest of the year, I'm not so sure. January tends to be a, a fairly strong month seasonally anyway. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure it has much predictive uh, ability there. But, um, you know, Santa Claus is is probably calm and still here. And uh, I think we'll see, see you know, a, a, strong, a stronger market uh, through Feb, and then, you know, the inevitable seasonal weakness uh, the, fr- from there. But, but overall, I think we'll do well this year. Yeah. Okay, Mark. What are your thoughts uh, then? And and do do you believe in the the January barometer? No, no, I don't. I mean, <laughs> right. it's it's what the, what the market likes is a, a a recent. They like using recent information and extrapolating it. So of course, if January is good, that means the rest of the year is going to be good. Yeah, you know, that's the way it works. If December had been down really badly at the end, which which it wasn't, then they would have been predicting doom and gloom in January. But um, our view is, or say, when I say our view, it's not really a team invest view because we're we're 580 individuals. But my view is that uh, it's onwards and upwards uh, this year. I think the market will continue to do well. I think earnings are looking good, um, without something to prick the prick, yeah, prick the bubble or spoil the game. I mean, if something really big happens, like China attacks. Uh, Taiwan or something, then it's all bets are off. But assuming there's nothing extraneous that comes in and spoils the party, I'm, I'm expecting 222 to be a very good year. Okay, that sounds positive on both fronts. All right, let's uh, get straight into it with our stock of the day. And it's all about coal. Um, who would have thought it that we're beginning the new year with a very old play? Uh, let's take a look at Whitehaven Coal. In fact, um, it shares uh, currently up by around 7% uh, in this morning's trade. And it's uh, tracking uh, essentially the price of coal. Now, this is after Indonesia banned exports on concerns it couldn't meet its own power demands. So what are our experts feeling about Whitehaven and the outlook, I guess, more generally for coal. Mark. 
Um, I can't I, I can't speak authoritative, authoritatively about uh, Whitehaven because I haven't actually looked at it for quite a few years. But I can say that um, my view on coal is very positive, uh, even though forgetting the ESG type uh, movement and the the demonising of coal, the reality is there's been far fewer new mines being bought on around the world. So there's, there's a big squeeze. And I think uh, I was reading the other day that Germany last year it burnt more coal than they ever have in their history, you know, all in the name of climate change, supporting uh, their uh, goals on zero emissions because they cut, they closed down nuclear power plants, which I, is beyond my understanding. Um, but uh, and I was talking to a, an exec at Glencore, who I think they're either they're right up there as one of the largest coal miners in the world, and they are minting money. They said the, the coal is their biggest. Um, earner at the moment, and they are very, very bullish about the future. So even though it may be politically incorrect in a lot of quarters, um, I think uh, coal's a not going away anytime soon. And because of the the fact that it's been very difficult to bring on any new supplies, countries like Australia who have high high grade coal uh, generally uh, are in a very good position. So uh, I'm quite positive about it. Going back to Whitehaven, I can't I, ca I can't forecast what their um, Earnings are going to be because they've been they they dropped into a loss last year, and I don't know enough detail on what what's going on within the company to be able to have an opinion on it. But but I'll say I'm very bullish on coal. Yep. Okay. Um, Carl, of course, coal, pretty much a dirty word, particularly if you're a ESG <laughs> investor. So, um, what are your thoughts on specifically on Whitehaven? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the whole world is down on coal, isn't it? And it's, it's very trendy to be down on coal. But, you know, Echo Mark's sentiments there and uh, whilst, you know, longer, longer term, yeah, there probably isn't a, a great place for coal in our energy future. In, in, in the short to medium term, it's, it's going to still be a crucial, play a crucial role in that transition. And Whitehaven, you know, is obviously well placed to take advantage of uh, that short to medium term potential uh, demand there and, and, and price fluctuations to the upside as the world transitions away and kind of uh, throws the baby out with the, with the bathwater to some extent. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a perverse upside there in, in some ways. But um, look, yeah, I mean, I'll put some colour around some of the comments Mark made. So he said um, they did dip into a loss uh, last financial year, expecting a, a big bounce back um, this year as they sort of get some of those production issues under control and we've seen you know a, a nice spike in coal prices mainly you know a spike of coal prices as uh, we've had some uh, energy uh, issues crises in Europe and, and the US and um, you know, people trying to keep warm in the northern hemisphere so uh, in the Ind Indonesia thing is symptomatic of this uh, this this again short-term picture of, uh, of countries looking to secure that that uh, energy transition or have security through the energy transition so uh, prices are up Whitehaven uh, is not expected to increase its earnings greatly over the next couple of FYs. If you look at the broker consensus, we're probably looking at a reduction of sort of you know, 20, 30% year on year, but their estimates and those estimates tend not to take into account these short-term price fluctuations. So if we sort of bring that back, there's a potential upside there. There's a disconnect between the negativity in general in coal, the negativity in the estimates for Whitehaven specifically and what's actually happening. And that's kind of being reflected in the share price. So if you're looking at the chart, we're actually seeing, uh, you know, you probably wouldn't have imagined that a coal, coal stock could be in a long-term uptrend, but it is. Short-term uptrend has mm. swung back to the upside after a bit of a pullback through sort of November, December, and it's actually starting to look really good. Higher peaks, higher troughs, candles are starting to improve, um, moving averages are turning up. So look, on the basis 
of the chart on the basis of some of those fundamentals, I could see, um, uh, you know, I, I could buy it here. I could ha happily buy it here, but it would be more of a risk money bet given the volatility. Obviously, you, yeah. you, you, it's an option on cold prices. So it's a momentum trade. It's not necessarily one for your sort of uh, income or defensive investors. It's more for your technical analysts uh, and your, 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 your momentum players looking uh, to, to get in and get out based upon a theme. Okay. Good one. That is Whitehaven Coal. Um, as I mentioned, an old world stock. Let's move to a very new world stock. Um, and these uh, we get the 10 stocks, of course, that uh, brought to us by you. Uh, the first one, Life360 from Byron. And Carl, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the newest entrant on the um, S&P ASX 200 index. It is, of course, the um, digital consumer subscription uh, services um, market certainly it's trying to get whole families involved in terms of their ecosystem isn't it just as far as all those devices that you have in the family yeah so it's um, basically it's, it's they've got an app andrew that uh, will track your, your family members um, it's mainly geared towards um so older kids so it's not your younger kids necessarily although i'll talk about that in a second it's mainly, mainly kids who are driving uh in it's it's you know it's very much us focused so kids potentially going off to college or uh, starting to drive through high school and, and parents being able to track their departures and arrivals. Uh, more recently this year, they've expanded uh, with the acquisition of GeoBit into wearables for children, so tracking where your kids are in that regard. And then um, a couple of months ago, they acquired Tile, which many viewers have probably heard of and maybe even used some of those products. So those little um, those little uh, discs that you sort of attach to your backpack or whatever you don't want to lose, and then you can, you can track track its location via your, your smartphone there. So um, the, they were going gangbusters. I mean, uh, in terms of uh, subscriptions, average revenue per user, so they, 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 they get you in a, in, a, in a freemium model. So they give you limited services for free, and then they try and convert you to some of their, um, their more premium subscriptions down the track. And, and look, they're growing um, both the freemium and the paid users and, and exponential growth, hence the chart, hence the exponential nature of the chart. Where that exponential move stopped is the acquisition of Tile. So the market hasn't liked that. It's I mean, not huge. The company's about 1.7 billion market cap. Uh, it doesn't have any earnings, by the way. Mark will probably talk about that. Probably won't make any money to FY24. Uh, even then, it'd be trading on 80 times. Um, but the market doesn't like this Tile acquisition, mainly, I think, because, um, uh, it, it, look, Apple has just released uh, it, a, a competitive device. Uh, Google's not far away. Amazon's not far away. Samsung's already got one in the market. And I think uh, the market's looking at that acquisition, probably scratching their heads a little bit, wondering why they're going to such a competitive space. So um, uh, long story short, buy, hold or sell. I, I, I think uh, it's been a buy for us for, for many, many months. I think back in May, we put a buy on it. It's around about 570. We reiterated a buy, I think, in August at 10. But again, it's, it's horses for courses. So it was strictly from a momentum player. Um, because there's no valuation case necessarily, uh, you don't have that support by, by, by looking at a stock to say, that's so cheap. Um, it, it is purely momentum play. Uh, so now that the momentum, I would say, is out of the stock after that acquisition, I think you need to look very cautiously at it. Um, take some profits here if you haven't already, and then look at that $9 level. If it breaks below $9, that's where I'd be exiting the rest of my position if you've gotten in on any of our Think Markets recommendations. If it can break back above 10, that's your, um, your, your, your trigger to hang on to it. So it's not a buy right now, and it's a hold based upon those uh, scenarios I've given you. Okay. 
uh, Mark, you can, uh, well, Carl's just telling us, you can yeah. give a little more flavour and colour there to, uh, to what's going on. Uh, from my perspective, there's only two full years of uh, data, which is not enough for it to predict anything anyway. Uh, but as Carl mentioned, the market cap's about 1.7 billion, yet their sales uh, are only 104 million. That was 220 and 219 was 84. And I haven't got the 21 numbers yet. They haven't come out, um, which is growing, but they're losing. Uh, they lost 21 million in uh, 2020. So until they actually turn a profit, there's no PE ratio. So, but if you look at it, there's a, it's 17 times sales is what the price of the shares are. That's a massive amount to catch up from the point of view of the business needing to be uh, become profitable if you're talking about it as an investment rather than a, a momentum play or speculation or something like that, which is not what we do at Team Invest. So we wouldn't look at this company until it had about at least four years of good history after becoming profitable. Uh, so it's a long, long way away from us looking at it. But I will just say the other thing, uh, which Carl mentioned, uh, what Apple and Google and everyone are doing, this is a space that is dominated by the big players that have the relationships and the network moats with all the consumers. I think this is a really tough place to be in. So for me, I wouldn't touch it. All right, that's uh, you, you made that clear. That's pretty emphatic. That is Life360. All right, let's move on to our second stock of the day. And this one coming to us um, from Josh, Michael Hill International. Now, Mark, of course, um, jewellery and would have done well I guess over Christmas that's certainly a time when a lot of people like buying that uh, that sort of stuff um, and in fact uh, I think what the company provided a trading update well the last one there um, which was positive moved to a 52 week high how are you seeing it? Um, it's actually uh, not a bad business I mean retail uh, for us has been a fantastic area over the last uh, since the GFC um, it's still really good. Like uh, the best retailers like AX1, Nick Scarly, uh, maybe super cheap retail and JB Hi-Fi and so on have all done really, really well. And they're all on relatively low PE ratios in a, in a market that has extended PE ratios, which means that there's a lot less downside risk if we do go into a, a higher interest rate environment and where PE is, is some sort of uh, return to the mean, you know, hor horrible thought. But it's it's a possible with retail is a really good area and it's overlooked by a lot of people because it's not as sexy as uh, you know some of these other uh, companies with really good stories so michael hill is is a good operation they've had a good uh, coronavirus period uh, if you look at their 220 results up until 21 their earnings jumped up quite strongly but prior to that they had two years where it was slightly down and then before that three years where it was slightly up so the earnings were fairly flat it's got a very good return on equity at 25 25 um not much debt the debt's primarily leases so they didn't have any debt really apart from that uh lease liability under the new accounting standards so i'd say this is you know it's it, this is a worthwhile company to consider at the moment the p ratio is on 10.9 which is pretty indicative of uh the re of retailers as i was as i was talking about we're showing it returning about 4% a year at the current price. So it's a bit expensive. Uh, if, you were, if you were going to buy it, uh, I would suggest you'd want at least a 10% return. And on a 10% return, that uh, would give you a price, buy price of $1.04. So it's currently about $1.38. So it's, a bit, it's, it's close to the red on the PE ratio for us, which means it's getting very close to the top quartile of its trading range. So uh, if you if you like if you like the business, um, and I think there's nothing nothing not to like about it, um, it just needs to be a bit cheaper. Okay, so not a buy at this point, but you're considering it. No, 
depending on where no, it goes. No, well, I'm yep. not considering it even. It's, it's not even. It's not even on my consideration list. But, right, but it's, okay. uh, it's, it's, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. I have. I, I've. I've got quite a lot invested in retailers, and most of the ones I was mentioning are showing 15 to 20 percent compound returns. You know, going forward from their current price, yep. which is a lot better than what Michael Hill's looking at. So nothing wrong with it. But it's just too expensive. Okay, too expensive. Um, Carl, in fact, yeah, interesting looking at that chart then. Sort of pre-COVID, it was certainly heading in the wrong direction. And then it's it's sort of reversed that completely <laughs> during COVID. Yeah, look, it's one of those companies that's got a, a big COVID bump. Um, and the question then is, yeah, can it sustain that momentum that it's got out of COVID? And really, that's that's the risk going forward. So it, you know, it's one of those um, companies that if you look at the broker consensus for the next few FYs, they're expecting either flat earnings or a contraction in earnings to reflect the fact that huge bump and then cycling, you know, those, those huge earnings. So if they do better than that, you know, if they can still grow earnings from here, um, then they will do very well. And I think the market is kind of, um, I think the market's kind of waking up to what was a great deal of value in Michael Hill. So last time I covered this on the call, it was, I think, in June. Uh, I'll get, check my notes here. In June, yeah, at 82 cents. And it just it was just so ridiculously cheap. It was, you know, it had a PE, you know, forward PE of about six. And I said, you know, watch out for a big market re-rating. It's, ha- it's happened. It's hit. It's exceeded our fair value target, which, we, which we've then raised um, to currently 145. Uh, it's up about um, five or six percent today, even to, to exactly that price. So, uh, I kind of, kind of echoing Mark's comments here. It's a quality business. There's a lot to like about it, uh, but it's just it's at that point where it's fair, fairly valued. Coincidentally, you mentioned they've got a um, like a, a shareholder return of four percent going forward. Um, that's the dividend yield. So, um, you know, we, with probably not as much in the share price to get me excited and just the dividend yield from here, um, I can't call it a buy. Uh, so whilst it's been a buy for us in the past, I think it's transitioning more to a hold on the basis that the chart looks fantastic. So it goes from, I said horses for courses, it goes from one of those great value stocks that any income or even growth investor can buy to now because it's fully valued, it's more becoming a momentum play. So you're holding on the basis that it has momentum in that chart and you will continue to hold while that chart continues to point bottom left, top right. Then I think if you've got it, you're starting to say, okay, Carl, what do I look for? How do I know when to get out? Um, and I'll very quickly, just looking at some of these candles that you might want to look at. So big black candles would be a great indication to start to take profits. You don't have to get all out, but start to take profits. Or if you get a candle that has a very long upper shadow. Um, so prices are surging in the morning and then coming back will closing near the lows for the day. And again, that's another trick to start to take some profits on this. Uh, Mark mentioned about 104. I think 110, it might have been, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, as, as value. We're probably around that 120 to 130 mark is starting to be good value again. So you can buy pullbacks on this one. Okay, fair enough. But at the moment, a hold. Look, that's, it's a hold. Yep, yep. Okay. All right. Thanks, Carl. All right. Let's move to resources and one of the biggies. Um, Rio Tinto, Damien wanting to know, he's saying with pre-Christmas announcements, announcements of the new chairman, extensive China experience and the purchase of a lithium mine with a new brine extraction technology, is it out of the sin bin and going to return to favour as a global diversified miner? Carl? Very good question, Damien. Um, yeah, I'm not sure markets uh, in the long term move as much on uh, you know, chair appointments. Um, they're not saying they're not important, but uh, it's, it's more about, you know, the, the operations and, and what the company's extracting from those. So uh, that's 
first item. Second item in terms of that Rincon acquisition, which is the, the, the lithium operation they bought in, I want to say Argentina, but it's either Argentina or Chile. Um, and it is, it is very a very early stages project, so it's not like it's producing now, but um, there is a significant resource that they can get production probably over the next couple of years. Um, so yes, it's part of a broader plan by Rio Tinto to transition more into those um, sort of EV battery materials, uh, but that's still more of a medium-term thing rather than providing any sort of short-term uplift. The, the deal with uh, Rio Tinto is still iron ore. It's, it's still an iron ore company predominantly. Obviously, it does have um, give you exposure to aluminium, which uh, the price of aluminium still looks very, very strong, and copper, which um, equally looks very strong as well. But um, you need to have an outlook on the iron ore price. In terms of the iron ore price, look, we're fairly neutral on the, on the, on the iron ore price. We knew that uh, 230 was way, way too much. We thought that 80 is probably too cheap. And I think around here in that sort of $100, $120 US a tonne, I think is that, um, that Goldilocks zone that we could see iron ore prices stay at for you know the medium term and if it does that then uh, Rio Tinto continues to be a cash cow with some upside from those um, battery metals long story short buy hold sell I think look I think you can hold it it's not a buy for us I think if you're going to play in the metal space look for more of the pure plays I think there's more leverage to some of those trends there so for example if you're looking for a lithium uh, producer you know it, uh, uh, Pilbara is probably a good place to go, but uh, IGO with its uh, nickel and copper exposure, I think is probably my favourite in that space. If you're looking for co copper, then um, uh, Oz Minerals, I think is probably my preferred pick there. And uh, one we're going to talk about a little bit later on, which is Sandfire Resources. Yep, absolutely. We'll get to that. Uh, all right. Thanks, Carl. Mark, um, your <laughs> thoughts then, of course, you know, we've seen... Um, the likes of uh, BHP and Fortescue, the iron ore miners, they're diversifying. Um, that's the way of the world at the moment. So um, how are you seeing Rio at this point? Um, well, well, the, the, the uh, diversifying, and particularly with uh, uh, Fortescue, with hydrogen and so on, to me is a little bit political. You know, I mean, they, they, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, there's a lot of money to be gained from miners getting from money from governments for subsidies and all these things as well. So I'm a bit more cynical about the, the their intent. I'm sure they've, they've got good intentions, but um, Rio is a, it is a diversified miner and I, I wouldn't be buying it because of this Brian Lithium uh, business. Okay, they, they, that would just be a bolt on business for what they already have for their primary, their primary business. My view is that all of the uh, iron ore miners have been oversold Based on the yeah the the price of the iron ore dropping when it went down to eighty, it's now it's come back to you know, one hundred and twenty-ish and seems to be um, stabilising. I agree with Carl there. Um, there's the demand is still there. We still have the cheapest shipping rates to China and so on, and Africa is still a long way away from coming on stream for um, uh, uh, for the uh, Chinese imports, which I'm sure they would love to get rid of us if they can, but that isn't that's not any time in the near future. Rio is paying 78% out in the last year as a dividend of earnings. So that puts it at about, because um, it's roughly $100. So that, to me, it sounds like at least 10%, probably plus uh, uh, franking credits. I'm not sure whether it's fully franked or not. Um, so that's actually a very good income uh, for that on a stock where it's just currently on a PE of 6.6. And you, unless the earnings drop off precipitously, and I don't think they, I don't think they will, in my, in my view, um, you know, Rio is probably pretty good, pretty good investment on balance. It's showing we're showing a returning about 20% a year compound on a margin of safety, which is pretty conservative, and it's all green on all our filters. So it's not a company we would normally get interested in, but um, I think I think um, income-seeking investors and so on. I don't think there's a lot of downside in it at, at the current share price, in my view. 
And just on lithium, um, Carl mentioned a couple of the ones he likes. I and mean, the one we like most that's uh, exposed most to lithium is mineral resources, MIN, which also has iron ore as well. Um, but they are very, very well positioned with uh, lithium hydroxide, with their joint venture with Albemarle and Kemperton, and uh, their Mount Marion and their Wajina mines, which are, you know, they're, they're in production and their lithium hydroxide plant will be fully operational this year. So they're not at exploration stage or the development stage, they're yep. at the selling yep. stage. So that would be my, yep. my suggestion. All right. If I could just add, add, yeah, if I could add there, uh, mineral resources love that one as well. So yeah, I mean, uh, it, it didn't come to mind, but uh, when I did the notes <laughs> for this, but it, but it, but it is it is actually uh, obviously Mark mentions the iron ore exposure. It is a great replacement potentially for Rio in your portfolio. I think there's more upside there. You yes. guys, you're competing with each other. You try. We're getting the bonus <laughs> so our stock selections bonus today, bonus. and certainly in lithium, that's that's great to see. Yeah, yeah, bear, uh, bear, in, bear, in mind, bear in mind, Andrew, that I'm a, I've got a large holding in uh, Min, so I'm, I am very biased. <laughs> okay, um, but Mark, let me press you then. Would you be buying Rio at this level, or you, you're holding? Uh, well, not really, because it's not what it's not one that we. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll say that Tim Invest don't like commodity uh, investments because they can't because the companies can't control the price. That's the risk. Um, but sometimes, you know, and if you look at mineral resources, you'd have to say, well, isn't mineral mineral resources a commodity company? Well, we it, it blurs the boundaries because when we originally invested in it, it was a contract uh, processor and crusher. They mm -hmm. definitely weren't a miner. They were really a, they, were, they were picks and shovels guys. And then over time, they bought mines, which is still primarily to feed their machine, you know, which is how they make their money out of services. So, see what I, so I've got to squint at it. <laughs> so, because people would say to me, "Well, aren't I being hypocritical saying I'd invest in Min and I wouldn't invest in Rio?" Yeah. <laughs> so you see my you see my dilemma. Fair enough too. All right. Okay. That's Rio. Uh, let's um, let let's see you sink your teeth into this one. Almonds. Um, I'm talking <laughs> select harvests. Uh, Carmen wanting to know about this one. Uh, it is Australia's largest almond grower and processor. Uh, in fact, it's the third largest in the world, although I noticed that it did have a, a fire at one of its handling areas on Boxing Day. So that would have uh, affected supply somewhat there in its production at the same time. Mark, do you like almonds? Uh, no, um, we have for this. I just, uh, actually, I, I, I do, and I particularly like scorched almonds. <laughs> so uh, that's my favourite. But uh, no, I love almonds. Um, we, we have done work on Select Harvest, and we've spoken to management in the past, but not lately. Uh, we looked at it back in about 2013, and also just looking at my uh, notes here, we had a good look at it in 2019. And in 2019, it had a big lift in earnings because of the... Um, problems in California. You know, there was, the California is the biggest almond producing area in the world and their production was way down because of, I can't remember what the reasons were, but whatever the reasons were, they had, they had a couple of terrible years. So the prices of almonds went up and Select Harvest did really, really well for a while. But agriculture is just really, really difficult because there's just so many things that can get you. There's not, there's not only the competitive pressures globally, there's the weather, there's the supply and demand, there's all sorts of things. It's just a really tough area to make money consistent, consistently. And because of that, it doesn't pass our filters because its stability of earnings is too erratic. So it's all over the shop and it's currently running at about 4% 4, 4 return on equity. We want a minimum of 10. Uh, you know, it's just, it's too hard. Um, so I, I couldn't, there's not enough stability in the business for me to be able to predict what I think the earnings will do. So it comes back to the commodity argument again. In agriculture like this, when you're a producer, you're on the commodity end of it. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, look, I think everyone recognises that 
agriculture. It is difficult. Carl, what are you seeing in particular, though, with select harvests? Yeah, look, I think I'm going to echo Mark's comments again. I think I'd rather be digging stuff out of the ground than uh, crying almonds. It's just a little bit too hard. And if you look at the, um, the select harvest share price, it really does reflect the price of, of almonds. Uh, at the moment, almond pricing is down. So it's been uh, certainly sort of falling uh, since COVID. And whether that's related or not, who, who's to say, or related to a drought in California, I'm just not an expert on that. But what I can say is that um, they're, they're more of a marginal producer now with the, with the fall in that almond price than they were a couple of years ago. So um, not to say that they're operationally not, not doing well. I mean, they continue to um, increase their, their crop harvest and had a, another bumper year this year. Um, and they're doing quite well operationally, but because of that uncertainty with um, just the pricing of their the main product, and it's not like they produce a bunch of other things either, Andrew. It's, they really are dependent on on just this one uh, product. So that that's also another big concern for me. So um, I don't think it's expensive. I think you know there's some value in the share price here, but I, but it's just not compelling enough based upon that to, to buy it. And I think kind of the charts kind of agreeing with me as well. It's you know it's it, it's had a, a big run again, uh, sort of through September, October and then it's just it's just fallen back and hasn't been able to bounce so uh, on that basis I think I'm uh, I'm definitely in a void for people who have it they I guess they want the, to know if they should hold it look I think there's just a, just a smidge enough to hold it on the basis that we are seeing some nice candles coming in through December um, there's a little bit of volume there to suggest that some buying's occurring but that also gives you a bit of a, a sort of a get out clause as well so um, I would say I'll give you a number here if you've got it and you're looking for a point where you say, look, I just can't stick with this any longer. Um, if it breaks below 580, that's where I'd be getting out. Until then, you probably hang on to it. Yep. Okay. Good one. That is select harvest. All right, to our fifth stock. Sonic Healthcare uh, brought to us by Eva. Now, uh, this is, um, well, we know how well some of these companies have done, particularly during the pandemic. Uh, Carl has acquired the US pathology company ProPath. That's uh based in Texas. Uh, clearly, we know uh, the value of pathology companies at the moment, given what's going on around the world. How do you see Sonic? Yeah, look, I mean, it has done so well, hasn't it, from uh, all of this testing. So that's a big part of their business now. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, wasn't anywhere on the spectrum a couple of years ago, but now compared to the bread and butter that Sonic does, which is its no sort of diagnostic imaging business, um, it, it's now a, a massive, massive part of what they do. But with that comes the risk of that. If we're not uh, going to test more, as much or more in the future, then um, that, that part of their business is going to potentially shrink. Um, so it's, it's a little bit like a Rio Tinto. It's a little bit like a Michael Hill in that regard, that we've got this great tailwind from COVID. And how much of that is the company going to be able to hang on to uh, to justify its current valuation, which I think is pretty, it's fully, uh, it's fairly fully priced here. So I think it's sitting uh, a little bit above our fair value um, target, which is about $42. And, you know, when we say fair value, that's where we, we think it should be trading. And we, we have, you know, um, sort of margins above and below that. We've got a full value target of about 55. So look, look all things is valuation. So we like the stock. I mean, we think it's, it's a high quality stock. There's lots to like, even apart from this testing. We think testing rates will remain elevated. But having said that, the, the, the rates of testing keep increasing. So we, so I was on the show a couple of months ago um, before Omicron, uh, Andrew, and 
I said, I think Nadine was, was hosting, I said, Nadine, I think, you know, testing rates are going to remain elevated because there could be new strains, et cetera, et cetera. And so testing rates are, are, are way higher than back then. So now do I say a testing rate's going to stay even higher again? And I'm, I'm starting to doubt, doubt that now. I think maybe we're at peak testing. So um, I think it's a hold. I get to the point. I think it's a hold on the basis that there's plenty of quality there. It, it, it is over our fair value target. So start to look at momentum now. If you're in it based upon our previous buy recommendations, watch the momentum. So we're looking for some of those turning point signals that we've mentioned before, um, but hang on to it on the basis that the chart is bottom left, top right, looks fantastic. All right, okay. Yeah, testing. Well, it depends whether you can get your hand on a kit or of course, uh, yeah. a pathology service is actually open at the moment, which is a struggle in Australia. Mark, um, yeah, pathology, yeah. obviously yeah. a great game yeah. to be like in. Carl said. Um, I mean, long-term, if you actually look at it before COVID, the results were fairly ordinary. It was very, I mean, I say ordinary, it was solid, but not a lot of growth, you know, so it was, it was a slow growing company, but quite reliable, as you'd expect most, that's generally typical in the healthcare area anyway. So earnings have jumped up dramatically, you know, through COVID. The testing regime uh, issue, I actually, I actually think, you remember we're already six months into this financial year. So we've still got elevated, in fact, if anything, much higher testing rates. So that, that'll bump, uh, that will help um, the uh, Sonic's earnings, I would think, in this financial year anyway. You know, so how much longer that'll go, is we don't know. However, we, uh, we seem to have shifted to the instant antigen tests and so on, which aren't going to help uh, uh, Sonic. So I think, the, I think we are past peak testing at this stage anyway. And you can't invest in a company based on that anyway. So you need to look at the long term. And it actually looks, the long term future, if you extrapolate the uh, last couple of years of earnings growth looks fantastic. But if you take that off, I think you'd want to take a more conservative view to earnings, which means that you'd, it's a bit overpriced from our point of view. To get a 10% um, return per year for the next five years on a margin of safety, we have a buy price of 3860. Um, but there's nothing wrong with the company. I'm, I'm not criticising it. I'm just saying that um, I think you have to discount you know, the more recent earnings to be sensible. And the other issue is this acquisition in the US. Um, I don't believe Sonic's done any overseas acquisitions, if any, prior. I could be wrong. Carl, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know the company well. Um, that's significantly dangerous. We've got a long history of um, capital being burnt through uh, you, particularly U.S. acquisitions of companies. Healthcare uh, should be should be a bit more stable, you would hope. Um, but I don't know. And that's a risk, that's a risk as well. So we'd like to see uh, how that pans out and what happens over the first couple of years. So it is a what? Well, I'd say if you have it as if you're a shareholder, I'd probably say you'd keep, you'd hold it. I would. Yep. I'm not going as far as saying you should sell it, but I, I wouldn't buy it unless it was at you know like thirty mid thirties. Yeah. Not forty six. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, as mentioned at the top there, it has acquired that U.S. pathology company ProPath, so um, it's one yeah. you know that you're talking about as far as you know what those companies are doing and the risks there. Uh, all right. Let's um, let's sum up then as to where we are as part of the. First five stocks we looked at, plus our stock of the day, of course. Uh, that was Whitehaven Coal. Uh, share price up around 7% uh, in this morning's trade. Uh, Mark's saying, well, I mean, he's looking at coal at the moment, certainly a spike in those prices. We're seeing what's going on in Europe. Uh, there's an energy shortfall there, uh, particularly that's going on globally too, with uh, perhaps um, some steering away from uh from nuclear at the moment. So that's putting a greater demand on uh, coal. And Carl <clears> saying there is potential upside there. Could be a buy, but he does see risk there. All right, to our first stock, uh, Life360, uh, just a 
point. Actually, this is already in the uh, in the portfolio. Uh, uh, Carl, point of the fact that it's acquired Tile. Um, since that point, uh, the market essentially voting that they don't like that deal. Uh, so saying perhaps you could take some profit, but essentially it's a hold. Um, Mark pointing out the fact that it um, has no profit, still a long way to go. You need four years after it becoming profitable to actually take a look at. So he's avoiding it at this stage. All right, to our second stock there, Michael Hill International, a retailer, of course, specialising in jewellery. Uh, Mark pointing out that um, well, these retailers have clearly done well during, uh, during COVID, uh, but he sees it at the top of this trading range, too expensive, essentially, for Mark. And Carl, he's got a hold on it, uh, saying, once again, a bit pricey, but um, uh, he does see it as a quality stock. Rio Tinto. Um, now, we've seen um, you know, the likes of BHP and uh, Fortescue diversify, or Rio Tinto also getting in on that with that uh, lithium mine. Um, Carl, but it's obviously clearly more about uh, iron ore, and um, Carl seeing that as continued cash cow. He's got a hold on it. Uh, Mark saying that, uh, well, all iron ore miners have been oversold, in his opinion. He sees it as a good investment. Uh, they both pointed out, as far as lithium is concerned, Mark likes mineral resources, Carl, IGO. And Select Harvests, um, both agreeing this is difficult because it is an agricultural stock. It specialises in almonds, uh, obviously, uh, both essentially avoiding it. And finally there, Sonic Healthcare. Uh, Carl saying great tailwinds from COVID, but it's uh, just above fair value. Although he does like it, it is a hold, also a hold there from Mark. All right, so that's our first five stocks of the day. Let's uh, continue then on um, the sixth stock. And this is Alliance Aviation, brought to us from Trevor. Uh, it's essentially provision of uh, chartering of allied uh, aviation services to the specifically to the mining and energy and also tourism and government sectors. Um, uh, Mark, look, it's obviously been a pretty difficult sector to be in. So what's your outlook for Alliance Aviation? Well, uh, we just on capital for us. It's, it's running at 7%. Now, this is a capital intensive business because they've got planes and engines. They also do a lot of changeover and maintenance contracts and provide pilots. They do all sorts of things apart from running their own, their own charter, uh, charter business. Um, I've got a member who's who's in the aviation business area and always follows it. Um, so it's we're showing a returning about eight percent a year on a, on our default filters and slightly negative on a margin of safety. It's currently on a PE P of um, um, nineteen point six trailing, um, and that's in the red. So that for its price for its PE range, it's in the top quartile, which means expensive. Um, if you wanted to, if you wanted to buy it, I think you wouldn't. If you wanted to get a 10% on a margin of safety, which is what I would, you know, I would normally use as a baseline at least, um, then the, you couldn't pay more than two dollars twenty-six, which is a long way away from four dollars. Okay. So I would just yep. say too expensive. Too expensive. So okay. Yep. So you're avoiding that one, Carl. Uh, yeah, I'm going to differ with Mark on this one. It's certainly trading, yeah, 19.6 times FY21 earnings, but there is some good growth in the business. So 
Uh, we're talking 26% expected this year, 35% the year after, and it does start to flatten out from there. But um, the, you know, the growth, if you have a business that's growing, um, it obviously does bring that PE down. Now, the risk is it doesn't do what you think it's going to do, and you end up with a higher PE uh, than, than what you thought it was going to be. So that And that's that's the risk you need to assess before you invest in anything, uh, let alone a, a, an airline services business. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's, there's plenty to like about the business. I think, you know, they're one of the few businesses that uh, managed to hold their earnings steady through COVID. So uh, 0.1 of a cent in terms of EPS decline in FY20 versus um, FY19, I think it was. But apart from that, they've actually grown their earnings um, through this crisis. So I think that you know speaks to the, the strength of the underlying business and um, the strength of management as well. Um, look, the big upside is going to be the reopening. It's going to be people getting back to normal and travelling out there. Obviously, domestic travel will be the focus initially. Um, and that's where they could have see some upside in their wet leasing agreements with Qantas. So Qantas saying, look, we need extra capacity and you guys have uh, planes and we'll, we'll, we'll lease those planes on a short-term basis. Um, they've got a lot of bread, bread and butter uh, strength in their operations from the mining sector, which I can't see um, slowing down anytime soon. So uh, a lot to like. Um, I, I think they're reasonably priced um, with plenty of growth. Um, I'm happy to, to, to buy them on the valuation basis, but I need the chart to catch up. So if we look at the chart, it's just very, very flat at the moment. It's, it's, it's a long-term uptrend, but it's been in a sideways basing pattern for about six months. Um, so I like the fact that you know there's that long-term trend, but until it starts to just push up through the, the top of that range, I can't get too excited. We've got a, a target of about uh, 480 on it with um, I think about 4%, uh, 3 or 4% dividend yield um, for the next couple of years. So mm. the, yeah, if, if, if it was to close about 440, I think I'm starting to get uh, very interested on the basis of the valuation and then a bit of a resumption of momentum for now to hold. Okay, a hold there. That's Alliance Aviation. All right, Carl, let's move on to our next one. This is Byron Energy. Uh, it's an independent oil and natural gas exploration and production company. Uh, it is focused in the Gulf of Mexico. Your thoughts? Yeah, very interesting little um, company. I hadn't heard of it before. Honestly, I got the notes um, for this show. Uh, the first thing I do is look at the chart, Andrew, as you know, that's my first point. And then I go and break down the company and look at the fundamentals and the chart. Uh, when I looked at it, uh, look, it's, it's we talked about talking about a flat chart of um, Alliance Aviation. Uh, this is not only a flat chart, but it's actually a long term downtrend. So it's uh, it's actually you know been decreasing steadily for an extended period of time. I'm going to zoom out to the long term chart. Yeah. So if you're looking at. Um, you know, from 40 cents a few years ago down to 10 cents now, a dollar 10 uh, back in the you know, mid-teens, uh, you know, to 10 cents now. So it is, it is a company that's probably raised a bunch of um, issued a bunch of shares along the way to fund its operations. And you know, on the first pass, you go, this is just one of those dead in the water um, uh, exploration companies you'd ever touch. Then you look at the fundamentals, and they're actually making money. Um, with uh, so they've got a couple of producing wells or interest in producing wells uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, cash flows are increasing, production is increasing, reserves are increasing, um, trading on about 23 times last year's earnings. I've got no idea what that will be next year because I, can't, I just can't forecast the growth in this. It's just not enough information for me to gather to be able to do that. Uh, Four million in the bank. Um, there's a bit of debt there, uh, so I'm going to just cut 
the uh, long story short here and say that whilst there appears to be some really good things happening in terms of the, the business side of things operationally and, and in terms of the valuation, until the chart picks up, I'm not a buyer. So I'll give you a level if you've got it. Obviously, the person who's asked the question has got the stock, I'm guessing, uh, and they're probably wanting to know uh, some, some some key points uh, to look at. Look, if it, got, if it got above 18, I think it's starting to pull out of that um, downtrend and that would be very encouraging. Um, until then, it's just a pass. Okay, it's a pass. In fact, you mentioned uh, the question there. Sorry, I in fact I forgot to ask that question, but uh, Mark can answer it because um, Dan saying that it has been it's a roller Dan. coaster, obviously. Yep. Uh, saying all mining companies obviously run into difficulties and failures along the way. Uh, but do the team see uh, this as starting to put some runs on the board? Is now the time to buy in? <clears throat> Mark. Uh, not for me. Um, just talking about the uh, shares issue, they've gone from in the last 10 years, they've gone from 100,000 shares outstanding to a million. So that's a 10 times factor increase in shares outstanding. So remember, that's always working against the earnings. So in other words, for a dollar of earnings 10 years ago is now 10 cents of earnings if you're a shareholder you know, for the same for the same dollar. So that's not good. Uh, now, they've obviously used that to continue funding. They class themselves as an explorer when you look at their uh, you know company information on the ASX which is a dangerous area to be in, of course, because that explorer by definition means spend lots of money, milk shareholders, and hopefully we'll find something that eventually we can turn into a commercial business and actually make some money and give some money back to shareholders, which history's proven that to be a poor uh, bet for most uh, shareholders. And you'd be better off going to the casino. Uh, having Reiterating what, uh, what Carl said, though, is they, are, they do have earnings, and the PE at the moment's uh, about 15 on those earnings. And that's at the very bottom of its range. So, so uh, at the bottom of the P of its P range. So that's mm. that's actually encouraging, and it's showing 9.7% return per year over the next five years on a margin of safety on our calculations, uh, which is which is pretty good. So EPS is growing. It's not growing massively, but sales are sales are growing strongly, which you would hope that that would support the um, EPS growth going going forward as well. So, look, it's not something we would be interested in, in but if you're into investing in energy companies that are, are profitable and have plenty of upside, this looks pretty cheap if that's what turn, floats your boat. Okay, all right, let's. Um, yeah. We're running out of time, so I better get a move along. Our next one is early pay uh, brought to us. From Roger, this is in on the line. In fact, because it is in the portfolio, so interesting <laughs> to see what you guys have to say on it. Then, uh, Mark, of course, it is a diversified financing company, trade finance, foreign exchange, equipment finance, invoice finance. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it, it's it, it fails on um, our return on capital at eight percent. Um, it's got a high debt figure as well, but I'm assuming there's debt on the balance sheet that they're using to lend. So. It's a, there's a bit of a misnomer on how debt's dealt with at the moment with some of these companies. So to be able to really know, it's only got a market cap of 102 million, so it's quite small. And as you said in that intro, they're doing a lot of different things. Like they're working in foreign exchange, uh, uh, commercial finance, and so on. That's a lot of areas to be working in when you're a little hundred million dollar market cap company. Um, I would find that you know, like it's a stretch. Um, this their earnings growth is showing 25 percent. Uh, over the last six years, EPS growth rate, which is pretty good, but the sales have gone down. So sales are negative 4.6 over the last six years and uh, earnings growth is 25% positive. Now that's great because often you see charts the other way around where the sales have gone higher and the earnings are going down. But generally speaking, that's not sustainable because obviously 
you still need headline revenue and sales growth to be, keep growing earnings. You can't keep increasing margin all the time, which which is you assume that's what that is. Um, so that's that would that to org is against the uh, high EPS growth rate. And what that comes out in our numbers, it gives you a return on default. In other words, this is our best fit likely return over the next five years based on its forecast, its performance over the last six years of 34% a year, which is to say, that's great, it's a buy. But on a margin of safety, it's 1.1. So, so you've got a 33, you've got a, a 33 um, times difference, if that's right, on um, on what the, the risk return is, if you like. And our margin of safety figures are 1.4% on growth over the next five years, not 25, and gives a terminal PE of about 12, and that gives you 1.1. So that range is 29 cents buy price up to $1.19, and it's currently 44 if you want a 20 a 10% return. So, you know, I, I would need to understand a lot more about the business, uh, and it's a bit small for us. You know, yep. there's 100 million, there's not enough liquidity. If our members all got enthusiastic about it, we'd push the share price up to triple the price. So it's, it's not really feasible for us under 150 at least. Okay, all right. So that's essentially a pass then from your at this point. Carl? I guess so. No, it's a pass. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think look, I think it's a pass for now. It's uh, but it, but I think there's a lot to like about the business. I mean, Mark's uh, talked about uh, how it has grown its earnings very steadily over a long period of time. Um, it's had uh, revenues have been fairly fairly flat though, and that's um, I think partly last couple of years um, due to due to COVID. But it is a bit of a reopening play as um, you know businesses start to require more more financing uh, going going forward. So I think there's some upside there. Look, I, I like it. I think I think it looks cheap here, but I, I just needed to pick up on the chart. Long story short, uh, until it traded sort of above um, 47, 48, I couldn't get too excited. It is a long-term uptrend, but again, one of those sort of short to medium-term um, flat flat uh, trends. Uh, right. So it's, it, yeah, it's, look, it's a keep an eye on it, but uh, not right now. Keep an eye. Okay, that's early pay. All right, let's uh, continue. Coles, of course, we know what it does. Um, Carl, uh, how are you looking at this then, I guess, particularly as we move out of the COVID phase? Yeah, look, it's one of those uh, you know big sort of uh, blue chip stocks that there's a lot of um, information for the market to, to digest, and therefore you tend, you know, I think with these stocks you, you tend to find that they're fairly valued at any point in time, and that's our opinion on Coles. I think it's uh, pretty close to its its, its fair valuation, so yeah, you, know, you buy it here. I don't think you're going to see a huge amount of upside um, on it. It's got a reasonable dividend yield though, about 3.4%. So I think you know again, horses of course, is if you're more of a defensive income investor, um, I think it's okay for you. If you're more of growth-oriented investor, which is our style of investing over here. I don't think it's one you uh, run out and chase. The chart's pretty re reflective of that. It's, uh, you know, long-term uptrend, yes, but otherwise fairly flat over the last, you can see there on the chart there, sort of really 12 months at the same price today as it was 12 months ago. So, look, if anything, it's better than Woolworths, if that's what you're wondering, um, but, you know, to hold it best for me. Okay. Mark, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, it's only got three years history, of course, as a, as a listed entity, so we can't really give you a forecast, but um, it's it's I would expect coals to match inflation going forward. So so that's really I mean their their, their profit margin is only two point six percent. You know the net profit margin, which is to be expected. You know a, a, for a business like this, um, and its return on capital is about eleven percent, which is okay. You know and the return on equity is actually very good at thirty five. So it's a safe it's a safe investment, but it's going to it's going to give you it's going to match keep up with inflation and pay a maybe. Positive on inflation when you include the dividend, but uh, we don't sort of invest for dividend or growth. We we work on total return is, is really our focus. So we like to add both together, 
and really what we what we really like is both both being good but i think coles is fine you know you, you if for somebody who is happy with you know like a six or six or six percent or seven percent a year total return uh, i would expect coles would be something like that okay so i'd take that as a whole then you're both happy okay. with it essentially yep, yep fair enough okay yep. Let's round it out with Sandfire Resources. We were pointing this uh, earlier. Uh, of course, we're looking at as far as where battery materials are going. David wanted to know, is this a good copper company or are there others that are better, uh, whether they be small or larger caps? Of course, um, it has just received approval from the Spanish government for its uh, acquisition of Matza Mining Complex in Spain. Significant addition to its portfolio, Mark. Um, yeah, it's not one that, as I said, because it's a minor, but just looking at it on our system, it passes everything and it's showing the range at the moment, the P is on 7.3, uh, which is about in, halfway in the bottom quartile of its range, which is good. So that's, that's, a, that's a, uh, definitely a good, a good timing thing. That's about as far as we go on timing uh, for uh, using charts. Um, EPS growth rate is average 17% uh, with reasonably good stability and sales have been growing at 5% with very high stability. So this would be prior to the acquisition they've made, but they're actually making money and we're showing it returning 27% a year on our default measures over the next five years per year or 9.5 on a margin of safety. So if you don't mind, and then by the way, they're in, as you see, they're in copper, which is, a, uh, is, is very strong and looks like that will continue to be with the amount of required uh, copper for uh, all the, uh, the new renewable power supplies and so on. So, I'd have to say, I'll call it a buy. Oh, okay. We've got a buy there on Sandfire. Carl, I'm not saying agree? I'm not saying Team Invest would buy it with our members. I don't think it'd get up you know, to the point where we'd really scrutinise it in detail. But look, the numbers aren't lying, then they look good and it's in a good spot. Okay. All right. You got the qualifier there, but you've said it. Yeah. <laughs> Carl? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, look, I, I'm ditto with Mark. I, I echo everything he said there. It's a company we do like, and we've had a buy on this for, for a while. So, uh, yeah, look at the, you mentioned the acquisition in Spain's basically going to triple their production uh, on what were some really solid operations uh, anyway, just fantastic cash flows. And uh, we like copper prices as well. We think the price of copper is going to be higher in five years' time than it is today. And, and um, you know, these guys are almost a pure play in that regard and significantly more now with this acquisition. Um, they, they do have some uh, exposure to gold there as well. But I think it's fairly recently priced. We've got a fair value target around about sort of 750 area, which um, gives a bit of upside there and, you know, full value way higher than that. So um, the trend looks good. We can see some nice momentum in the chart uh, coming back in, uh, short-term, long-term uptrend great candles great price action so it's all tick 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 from me happy to continue to buy excellent stuff all right that's a double buy that means it goes in the portfolio sandfire resources all right let's sum up the second half of the show we began with alliance aviation uh mark saying essentially look it's uh, too expensive at this point is avoiding it um carl saying it, it held its business during COVID. reasonable price has got to hold uh byron energy uh this is oil and gas uh, Carl saying long-term downtrend, uh, but it is making money, but he's passing on it. Mark's also a pass, uh, saying explorers, they're often a poor bet. Uh, early pay, Mark saying looking a bit stretched given what it's doing, sales down, he's passing. Um, Carl also a pass for now, but he says it does look potentially cheap at these levels. Uh, Coles, 
Uh, it's a defensive play. Of course, uh, Carl's got a hold on it. Also noting that it's better than Woolies. And Mark saying uh, a safe investment. He's also got a hold on it. And to round it out there, we had Sandfire Resources. Uh, it's making money and it's obviously in a good space as far as copper and the electrification of the planet is concerned. And um, Carl pointing out there that uh, that uh, Spanish acquisition will triple production. Both have a buy on it. So that is the show and they are the stocks. And we thank our guests now, Mark Morland from Team Invest and Carl mm. Campbellinga from Think Markets. Guys, thanks very much. Thank thanks, you, Andrew. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Carl. All right, now any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, uh, the call at osbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at osbiz.tv. And a reminder where to find the stocks we have in the course portfolio, you can head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.